Our scripture today is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lofty. And the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him, each had six wings. With two they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The pivots on the thresholds shook at the voices of those who called, and the house filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me. I am lost, for I am a man, I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. Please be seated. Thank you, Hannah. Wonderful job. It is good to be with you this morning. It's great to have our youth lead us in worship. Uh, it's been a while since I stood here in the pulpit and preached a sermon. Um, most of the time I'm doing the children's sermon on the uh, chancel. Uh, sorry, I don't have any object lessons for you this morning. I reserve those for the children. Uh, but it is good to be with you this morning. Uh, let us begin with prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. We acknowledge your presence with us now, and we ask that you would lead us to hear your word, to respond to your voice. We thank you again for your presence and for allowing us to be here gathered together. And now we ask, Lord, that the words of my lips and the meditations of our hearts together would be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So, do you dream when you sleep? Experts say that most of us dream, almost everyone dreams, even animals have dreams, but though not everyone remembers what they dreamed once they've woken up. When I was in high school, since it's Youth Sunday, I thought I'd throw it back to my high school days, uh, I was perhaps a typical teenager and I enjoyed sleeping in on Saturday morning, kind of still do. But Saturday mornings, my mom would eventually come into my room and try to wake me up, and I would just be having the best dream ever. And I would tell her, I'd be, I'd be like, no, mom, no, get just a few more minutes. Let me finish this dream. Let me finish this dream. And then I would try really hard to return to sleep so that I could finish the dream. And that's when my dream would often uh, end the way that I wanted it to, right? It would make me happy. I'd wake up in the morning uh, happy on the, on, in a good mood, and my mom would be happy that she let me sleep in, right? Um, but to this day, I can always go back to sleep when I've woken up, uh, but I don't always finish my dreams. In today's text, Isaiah has much more than a dream. He has a vision of God. He sees God in the temple, this grand vision. Isaiah is overwhelmed by the presence of God. 
He's seated on a throne, lifted up, high and lifted up. This vision involves all of his senses. If you notice that he sees the Lord with his eyes. Then he hears the seraphs calling to one another, holy, holy, holy. Then he smells the smoke from the incense burning at the altar. And he feels the temple shake. Then he tastes the hot coal on his lips. All of his senses are engaged in this moment. Can you imagine what that would have, what that would have been like? It's interesting to note when the vision came to him. It was in the year that King Uzziah died. So now according to history, we know that King Uzziah was a, a very strong and popular king. He took the throne at age 16 and he reigned for 52 years. So he was one of the very few good kings of Judah. The nation prospered under his rule, and many of their enemies, many of the areas around them were conquered during his time, and it was just a time of wealth and prosperity, and the people came to rely on King Uzziah. They didn't have very many worries during that time. Scripture says this about Uzziah in 2 Chronicles. It says, as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. So as long as the king kept God first, he and his kingdom flourished. Yet one day, oh, one day King Uzziah forgot his place in the kingdom. He allowed his pride to get in his way. He took it upon himself to burn incense at the altar. And now this act of burning incense at the altar was, of course, reserved for the priest, the priest in the temple. And so when the priests come and confront Uzziah, he becomes angry, but before he has a, a chance to respond, his body breaks out with leprosy. And leprosy, of course, is a terrible de disease that leaves the infirmed uh, deformed and ostracized. And so as a leper, King Uzziah spent the rest of his life in isolation, and his son, Jotham, gained control of the government. The two actually co-reigned for the remainder of Uzziah's life, which was 11 years. But Jotham was really the one making the decisions, and he was a very weak king. He um, wasn't very well liked by the people. The people had no confidence in Jotham's leadership. And so when Uzziah died, there was this feeling of panic that set in among the people. They were uncertain about their future. Like, what was going to happen? They, they felt as though the throne was empty. There was no one in leadership, no one to guide them, no one to provide for them. They wrung their hands and they cried, what are we going to do? It was in this year, the year that King Uzziah died, that Isaiah has this vision, as if God was reassuring him that there was still a king on the throne. Perhaps God was shouting to Isaiah in the midst of great turmoil, oceans rise, empires fall, earthly kings die, but I will see you through it all. I am still on the throne, God says to Isaiah. Yes, God gave Isaiah this vision at this appointed time to communicate that he is still ruler on a great throne. 
There are times in our own lives when we feel that sense of panic. Perhaps you felt it this past year at some point during the past 15 months. Remember all that we've been through. We won't let each other forget. We keep bringing it up because it was so traumatic. Uh, we felt our sense of security taken away from us. We were watching the news and heard of how coronavirus was affecting and impacting our lives and killing people. We heard of racial injustice in the streets and mass shootings, another mass shooting. It was easy to wring our hands and be anxious and to cry out, what are we going to do? But looking back, maybe, maybe you're like me and you're still processing all that we've been through and you, you notice these moments that you experienced God. You experienced God saying, I'm still here. I haven't left you. I'm still on the throne. Hopefully, you were reminded of God's goodness and his presence in the midst of difficult times. Another reason I, I find it interesting that God chose to reveal this, his magnificence to Isaiah during this time is that King Uzziah had been a source of stability and prosperity for the people. The nation had placed their confidence in him, and, and now he is gone. It reminds me of the many times that I place my own confidence in another person, in this government leader, in this pastor, in this mentor, this friend, this significant other. We set them up and look to them for our, our identity, our, our source of security. We set them up as idols, even before God. We think of what are they going to think of this or what would they do in this situation? But then something happens. Perhaps an argument occurs, or they betray our trust, or they disappoint us, and they simply are no longer around. We may feel a loss of confidence without that person. But we have an opportunity in that moment to experience God's goodness, that God is still present, that it is actually him that we should be looking to, that he should be first place in our lives. When we put God first, we see his holiness. We see his holiness more clearly, and then we see ourselves more clearly. Notice that Isaiah's response to this vision is, woe is me. In seeing the Lord, he saw himself. Seeing himself then in the light of God's holiness, he saw himself. He saw himself far differently than he had ever seen himself in the light of humanity. Do you know how bank tellers identify counterfeit bills, how they're trained to identify counterfeit bills? I heard it once said that they are shown a real bill over and over and over again. So for example, they would get a $100 bill, the real thing, and just examine it, every little detail, every little bit of it, and, and constantly be shown the real $100 bill. So that when a $100 bill comes across their counter and it doesn't match the real thing, they immediately are able to identify it. Isaiah saw the holiness of God, the righteous glory of the Lord of hosts, and when he compared his life to the real thing, he immediately said, this doesn't match up. Well, actually, in his words, he says, I'm lost. 
I'm lost. Jesus said, blessed are the, pure, uh, the poor in spirit. This poverty, this poverty of spirit is, is a natural effect upon anyone who has an experience with God, with God's holiness. Once you see God, once you experience God's love, you see yourself, and what you see is often shocking. Woe is me! We can never measure up to God's goodness and perfection. Seeing yourself in God's light can make a vast difference in what you see in yourself. It's interesting, you know, Isaiah becomes conscious of his speech. I wonder what it was about his unclean lips that caused Isaiah to make this confession. What is it about his unclean lips? Jesus said, for it is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. The words of your mouth reveal what's in your heart. Our words often betray our sinfulness, just as a tree is identified by its fruit. So a person is recognized by what they say. So let us consider our words. What is our speech revealing about who we really are? Do our words reflect the experience that we've had with God? Do we speak words that are good and encouraging and kind and offer love to others, even those whom we disagree with? Or is our speech filled with anger and hate and bitterness? We know, and you've heard it said from this very pulpit many times, that words matter. Our words matter. The childish rhyme of sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me is a lie. It's one that I believed for a really long time until I grew up and realized words really do hurt. They impact ourselves and they impact others. In his letter, the Apostle James compares the tongue to a bit of the bridle that guides the horse and a rudder that directs the large ship where it should go. So the words we choose and the tone of our voice influences our lives. They transform our relationships, either for the good or for the bad. So consider your words. Do your words build up or tear down? It's interesting that Isaiah, a prophet, a servant of the Lord, becomes aware of his speech. Because you see, speaking will become a major part of what God calls Isaiah to do. His lips will be used to call a nation back to God's ways. Therefore, his speech must be purified. Yet the problem does not only lie with Isaiah. Notice his experience with God also leads him to recognize and to confess the impurity of the people he lives among. He confesses, I live among a people of unclean lips. Not only then does the prophet need to be cleansed, but the nation needs to be transformed. There's something wrong with the people's speech, the way they communicate with one another, the way they treat one another. They have lost their way. They're a nation that's riddled with injustice and inequality and hostility and political unrest. And so Isaiah confesses the sin of the nation. What would it mean for us then 
to confess the sin of our own nation. Isaiah responds, and, or God responds to Isaiah's confession. He responds by sending a seraph. A seraph takes a live coal from the altar and touches the lips of Isaiah. And now the seraph says to Isaiah, now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. The washing and cleansing of his sin follows his confession. And even our own confession, when we gather together each Sunday and confess communally, we offer these words of assurance. In the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. This is a promise that God makes us. In 1 John 1, 9, we read, If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's only after then confessing and accepting forgiveness that Isaiah then hears the voice of God. And the voice of the Lord was saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. I want you to notice for just a moment the pattern in this passage, that God reveals his holiness, Isaiah confesses his sinfulness. God asks a question and Isaiah then answers. God initiates and Isaiah responds. I find that that is a pattern in our own lives that our experience with God is often initiated by him. We love God because he first loved us. We respond to the love of Christ by the power of the Spirit. Last week we celebrated the day of Pentecost. We continue to recognize the work of the Spirit in our own lives, calling us, leading us. It is by the Spirit that we come to know the grace and the mercy of God. It is by that Spirit that we're given new life. Well, Isaiah's final response to God then is to embrace a new vocation. God sends the prophet to a nation, to the nation to speak the words of truth. Often this passage then is, is preached with the goal of inspiring its listeners to then answer the call to, of God to go and to spread the gospel message. It's used in mission conferences and in commissioning services. However, like the lectionary text ends today's passage in verse 8 with Isaiah answering the call, saying, Here am I, so do many of these sermons about being called to the mission field. But if you keep reading, even in chapter 6, you'll see that Isaiah um, hears that God, Isaiah, sorry, God tells Isaiah that when the prophet speaks, there's not going to be anyone listening or hearing people actually are going to be more confused and less certain about things. So we perhaps see why the lectionary text ends um, that where it ends. It doesn't make for a good call story, right? Like, come, go, share the message of Christ, but your listeners aren't going to hear you. <laughs> um, really makes for a good um, encouragement. But God calls Isaiah to a very specific task, and it's not very successful, or at least it's not seen as successful, right? It requires a great deal from the prophet, and he doesn't get very much in return. 
So by all means, if you hear, the, hear God calling you to go and to share the gospel message, by all means respond to the call that God is placing on your life. I myself, God, used this passage to uh, influence my own call to ministry. But just be careful to know that the call is never easy. Be prepared for some discomfort and some doubt. Also be prepared, though, to never be the same. You see, despite his difficult life and amidst the trying times, Isaiah the prophet, he remains faithful to the calling that God had given him to speak God's truth to a nation. He was no doubt inspired by this vision of God that he was having this day in the temple. Isaiah had been to the temple many times before. This was nothing new for him to go and to to worship at the temple. But on this day, he saw the vision. And on this day, everything changed for Isaiah. You see, an experience with God, an experience with his holiness, an experience with God's grace and his forgiveness and his calling always leaves us transformed. We have hope, we have peace, we experience joy. We have this abundant life that Jesus speaks of in John 10.10. So my prayer for us this morning is that we would experience the grace of God, that we would experience the forgiveness of God, so that we might hear then the voice of God and respond to that voice. And when we do so, may we not only find ourselves transformed, our own lives changed, but may we find that the lives of those who see and hear our testimony, their lives are changed as well because of the holiness of God.